The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Welcome to the Week 17 Recap Podcast. I believe this will be the last recap podcast we do of the year, as there will not be anything to kind of take our takeaways and and, uh, go forward with them. But I hope that you had a great championship week, and we're about to be joined by everyone from the Rotowell team who covered the games for us this Sunday. Let's get to the games. The Buccaneers defeated the Panthers 30-24, to and Patrick Darty this clinched a playoff spot for the Buccaneers, who definitely, you know, took their time in making sure they were they were actually punching their ticket to the playoffs. Uh, never a doubt, actually, in my opinion. Uh, you know, beginning with, uh, I never had any doubt since they got destroyed by the Panthers in Week 7. <laughs> this same Panthers team. And yeah, I mean, they go from... Probably, honestly, even though they beat the Cardinals in that game on Christmas in Week 16 close to like the low point of Tom Brady's career. I mean, maybe that Titans playoff game is final game as a Patriot, but I mean, coming off just a real, real, really bad game. And, and they apparently this week talked in practice. I don't think they really talked to like played this up during the week, but they were talking during the broadcast today that they were basically like, yeah, we got us. We can't be so conservative. Like they finally decided to like take matters into their own hands and they did it early with a deep left sideline target to Mike Evans, and he dropped it again. This one wasn't as egregious as that 75-yard touchdown, but it, like, it was a drop, and it would have been a big play. And it was just kind of like hard to shake that feeling like, man, this team is just cursed. Because I think the, 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 the Panthers were up like multiple scores, but instead of that like ending the game, like they knew what they had to do. They stuck with it, and yeah – the end result, Mike Evans, 10 catches, 207 yards, three touchdowns. All three touchdowns are over 30 yards, two over 50 yards. Second most yards of his entire career in a single game. I think they said it was Tom Brady's longest touchdown in like five years. Um, and like the Jets, or excuse me, for some reason the Panthers were playing like man coverage, even though they had lost J.C. Horn. He was not active today, and they just devoured CJ Henderson and Keith Taylor, like just like Mike Evans is like classic, you know, like we've been talking about is Mike Evans washed is Mike Evans losing steps. And he was just I mean, multiple times just like ran right by these guys. And it was crazy. Like he was so open. Yeah. He was just seriously just running right by them. And like one time it was like kind of like a, I think CJ Henderson, like kind of like, I like bit on like a fake, you know, bit on something or whatever. I think the two other times he just like ran by them. Like it wasn't like a misunderstanding or anything. He's like, well, <laughs> going to run by this guy now. And they just couldn't do anything about it. Wow. So, so now, you know, one interesting thing about Evans is that he's had a thousand yards in every single season of his career, entered the league in 2014. He has now, I guess I'm not sure if this is updated for this week. Is he 
nine straight seasons. The previous record was six. Well, so the only no one else has done it more than six straight. So every year he's had nine straight thousand yard seasons to begin his career. So he keeps like resetting his own record every year. I don't know if that was the stat you were going to reference, but I think too this is like the fourth or fifth most yards of his career now for any season, which was looking like it was going to be a horribly down season for him. Um, so yeah, he's he's been a metronome even before Tom yeah. Brady arrived. Yeah, what I wanted to make sure is that he'd actually now passed it, which he which he has. He did. Yeah, he's. I think he's well. I think he's passed eleven hundred now. And yeah, it's yeah. comfortably. I think it was fourth or fifth highest total for his career. And like one, a, a big topic of Week eighteen discussion is going to be like even if any of these Bucks guys play in Week eighteen because Tom Brady. I mean, I don't know if people remember many years in New England where you know they already had like a buy clinch. They already had like home field advantage clinched and they would still always play in week 17. Like Tom Brady's kind of like does not like to rest, but this, you know, he's so old now. The team has been so banged up all year. They're locked into the number four seed. I would be pretty surprised if uh, like any important bucks play like more than like a few drives in week 18 against the Falcons. And like, and if you're making early DFS plans, if you're in like a league that's points only that goes through the end of the season, I would not be counting on many Tampa Bay Buccaneers joining you in week 18. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and I guess, you know, with that in mind, it's tough to talk too much about like Fournette and white in the split there. But I, what I will say is from the backfield here with 28 carries, 28 yards, excuse me, for Leonard Fournette on 10 carries, 22 yards on 11 carries for Rashad white really, really does feel like same old, same old out of the backfield. So your note about them kind of shifting things, to go with a more pass-centric approach and more downfield passing. Yes. It's like a really important sign here because like there was no change in terms of the running game. The running game was as bad as ever. Bad as ever. And if you're a Fournette manager, you got a real bad break because a bad day, but he seemed to have a six-yard touchdown to ice the game with two and a half minutes left. And it was the classic where they, they had to bust out like the James Webb tele- telescope. We don't say Hubble telescope anymore. We say James Webb telescope the new most powerful nasa telescope ever sent into space by man and like it was like there was like 40 dudes laying on top of each other and they determined that his knee was down at the one and then the next play tom brady went over the top of the pile for a quarterback sneak so horrible day for fournette he seemed like he got you the touchdown though but then it was uh reversed by science yeah that is that was rough uh, and then tom brady snuck it in uh for his touchdown on the ground he also first rushing touchdown of the season by the way which is wow crazy i mean just this whole operation has been so out of whack all year that is that actually is really wild because you just think of him with the qb sneaks you know he's been so good at that his whole career uh any thoughts on chris godwin uh any of the other pass catchers rashad white and leonard fournette both were involved in the passing game five targets for white four for fournette um so you know it wasn't like the backfield was completely out of picture but this is the way both guys should be used right they're they're both receive much better receivers than rushers. Yeah. Yeah. And with Godwin, uh, 120 yards, new season high, only his second hundred yard game of the season, nine catches were his second most. So again, you know, guy been really, really banged up and got sh- shaken up on a two point conversion attempt on Sunday. He did play through it. Thankfully, he seems like someone who really needs I mean, a guy come back from a torn ACL. And he seems like someone who really needs week 18 off. And I wouldn't yeah, be too worried about this bucks backfield because even if they go to like a more classic Tom Brady style offense, you know, heavy passing volume, kind of more up tempo, as we know, traditionally that's always featured lots of running back targets uh, and lots of rushes too. You know, they go fast a lot on like second or 
second and three, third and three to try to pick up cheap first downs. I mean, and the, the, the targets were still there on Sunday. So even if they did like kind of philosophically shift, you know, I think we'll still, you can still count on like a, probably a floor of 10 to 12 touches for both running back. Maybe that's a little um, ambitious for Rashad white, but I think the touch floor will still remain fairly high for both backs uh, heading into the playoffs. That makes sense. So on the Panthers side of this, DJ Moore had six for 117 and a touchdown on 10 targets. He was the most uh, productive of the Panthers players and really the only guy who's fantasy relevant among the receivers. Deontay Foreman had a disappointing game, 13 carries, 35 yards. Juba Hubbard, three for 12. So there really wasn't anything here other than DJ Moore. But I feel like, you know, if you're playing a Panther at this point, it was probably DJ Moore, maybe one of the running backs, hopefully not. Yeah, it was his third hundred yard game of the season. His yards were his second most of the year, DJ Moore. And you know, the takeaway of DJ Moore is we're kind of becoming a broken record on DJ Moore, but hey, at least he's still looking live heading into 2023. The post-Thanksgiving outburst, probably like basically the dictionary definition of too little too late. Like if you drafted DJ Moore early, uh, you pretty high probability were maybe knocked out of the playoff yeah. mix, but yeah, you know, maybe not. Um, <laughs> he still looks like an extremely above average NFL receiver who can operate at every level of the field. Like if the Panthers could somehow just get a quarterback for 2023, by the way, Sam Darnold's 341 yards tied for the most of his career, only his fourth three touchdown game of his career. He looked good, but he also had three just really bad turnovers. Lost a fumble inside his own 10 Kind of like the same Darnold story where, I mean, I don't think anyone is really taking seriously the possibility that Darnold would be a 2023 starter. I think he's done enough to like salvage his career as a number two. Like he still looks like he could be like an upside guy off the bench, especially if like in a good system. But uh, I don't think we can be giving this guy another starting opportunity. Yeah, yeah, that certainly seems very fair. I feel like he also kind of benefited from, you know, the guys ahead of him. Uh, this season played ahead of him just being so, 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 so bad. Yeah. yeah. And to have any kind of life breathe back into here. We appreciate like, that. We appreciate it. Foreman too, man. Foreman, Deontay Foreman has been so good as a rusher, but like we see the problem. He hasn't been targeted in three straight weeks. And we see the problem. Like if you, if you're not involved in the passing game, it doesn't matter. Like if you have 120 yards rushing every other week, cause you're the RB 50 the week, then that right. you have 40 rushing yards. If you don't catch any passes and, Deontay Foreman's going to go down as like the RB50 for the fantasy finals, even though he's been running like probably is like at a top 10 or 12 levels of pure running back over like the past eight weeks. Yeah, pure running back. Yes, pure. He puts the run, he puts the running, the run and running back. That's for sure. <laughs> All right, let's move on to the Seahawks who defeated the Jets 23 to 6. The Jets are now officially eliminated from the playoffs. They are. The Seahawks are not. They can still advance if they win in Week 18 against the Rams and the Packers lose or tie against the Lions. I made the horrifying admission to you before the podcast that I kind of want the Packers to make the playoffs. You look really like, horrifying. You looked like genuinely aghast. Uh, well, because, I mean, the Lions are who we're rooting for here, right? The, the Dan Campbell Lions make the playoffs. That's fun. I'm fully on board. I do I do think the Packers are looking like a more dangerous team, and I kind of just want, like, the more dangerous team in the playoffs. But <laughs> as for the Seahawks, 183 yards for Geno Smith, actually his lowest output of the entire year. But he had his first two-touchdown game in three weeks. Fantasy managers were probably lucky to get that because DK Metcalf totally locked down on Sauce Gardner, DJ Reed, Island. Tyler Lockett, you know, entered the game with a finger injury. And as we were uh, messaging on Slack, you know, you were kind of wondering where Tyler Lockett was. I'm like, I don't know. He's fine, I think. 
And then I had to scan back. Oh, no, he actually left the game uh, midway through the second quarter. And then they didn't announce anything until midway through the third quarter. And it was a new injury, a leg injury. And then for some reason, he returned in the fourth quarter. Very bizarre. It's kind of like only the Seahawks could do it. But uh, Gino, I, I'm just kind of I'm kind of rambling. I'm kind of emptying the clip here. Gino probably would have had more yards, uh, but his receivers were locked up, and the Jets kept giving them like really good field position, just kind of really limited his compiling opportunities. And Kenneth Walker was super productive on the ground. Yeah, I left out that uh, part. 23 carries, 133 yards. He had a long run of 60 yards. Didn't score a touchdown, but, I mean, this was an impressive day. Was well, second most rushing yards of his rookie season. Uh, the 60-yard rush came on the first snap of the game. Uh, really, really good day for the Seahawks backfield. DJ Dallas actually went over 100 yards from scrimmage for the first time in his career, and he only had like 10 or 11 touches. So, I mean, Pete Carroll, uh, heading into week 18 against the Rams, he knows his run game is cooking and his passing attack has been kind of struggling. Uh, probably not hard to discern like what his approach is going to be. We have no idea if it'll work or not. But I mean, he probably actually – I mean, Gino, as we know, his play has really kind of been uh, leveling down over the past six weeks. While uh, Ken Walker, over 100 yards each of the past two weeks, Seahawks backfield may be looking like a better bet uh, for them to move the ball. For sure. Um, on the Jets side of this, uh, Mike White had been kind of, you know, the savior of this offense for fantasy purposes, bringing in, you know, Garrett Wilson as a, you know, more than reliable, like someone we're excited to start. But I was Wilson today. Here, yeah. <laughs> Wilson held to three catches for 18 yards. He did see 11 targets, but, you know, three for 18 is just not going to do it. No. And Mike White. So, so yeah, I was fine. I have a two quarterback league where I've been forced. I've been like starting Andy Dalton. Like I've been starting some Zach Wilson. I had a Mac Jones or two in there. And this is like a points only league. So it goes to the end of the season. I'm like, finally, I have a legitimate number two quarterback with Mike White finally back today. And it looked like he had never played football before. It was real bad. He missed the past two weeks with a rib injury. You know, I have no idea uh, if it was health-related, but did not seem to be fully fit. And it was just wildly, wildly inaccurate. Like, the kind of day where he's just missing every which way. He's missing highs, throwing behind guys. You know, he's late. Um, this horrible ball placement. Uh, three turnovers really, or maybe I can't remember two or three turnovers was really lucky. It was not more. It was the class thing where the Seahawks just dropped one or two interceptions and probably a guy who got rushed back. I mean, he suffered some really serious internal injuries against the bills. Like, and he, he was kind of like gingerly walking around a bit. Um, and so as exciting as Mike White has been this year and last year at times, he also seems to be like the classic number two who gets ex- overexposed. The longer right. he's under three touchdowns and zero picks in his first start and three games since then, zero touchdowns, four picks. He looks like he can be a very good NFL backup, but I mean, he's not Jared Stidham though, where he's not, he's not like a future star. You know, <laughs> as a number two quarterback. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah, that, it's still disappointing to see against a, I think a fairly vulnerable, pretty vulnerable. Yeah, the Seahawks defense is weird. They always start off the year bad and they kind of, they've been kind of been better in the second half, but I mean, uh, not not a concerning matchup on paper at all. What happened with the backfield here? Because Ty Johnson had eight carries, which matched Zonovan Knight, who had uh, eight for 27, and Johnson actually had eight for 46. But, um, you know, this wasn't a particularly close game, so is that kind of garbage time stuff, or no. was Ty Johnson playing so much? I have no idea. He started, and Whoa. he came into today uh, over the Jets' previous four games with nine total touches. 
and he started the game. He got out touched 10 to nine by Zonovan Knight, but true media charted um, Ty Johnson's playing the second most snaps uh, or excuse me, he's playing the most snaps. Um, Michael Carter played the second most snaps somehow, even though he only had three touches and Zonovan Knight was third in snaps with nine, just a total, you know, three man committee, kind of like no one could get into rhythm because the passing attack could just never get into rhythm. So like it wasn't possible for anyone to develop the hot hand really, but yeah, really confusing use because I mean, Ty Johnson had basically has been like deactivated for the past month. And then was just all of a sudden he, he literally started the game. And then the kind of more of a passing down guy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. For, he for the jets. Mostly. Always has been. Yeah. And I think Mike white, I think, or excuse me, Michael Carter, I think true media charted him as playing half the third and fourth down snaps. I guess Ty Johnson must've played close to the other half then, but it, 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 was, it was a surprising choice because uh, Ty Johnson, we, we had stopped blurbing. I, we hadn't blurbed like his past two games because he hadn't handled the ball. And then he was a star. I, I was still finishing up the Bucks game. And someone was like, did Ty Johnson start for the Bucks?" I was like, what? And yeah, he did. For the Jets. Yeah, yeah excuse me. Sorry. Yeah, no, yeah, <laughs> that would really be yeah, yeah, that, that would be shocking. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Appreciate it, Pat. My pleasure is always other Pat. The Lions defeated the Bears 41 to 10, and Cal Dvorak, they kept their playoff hopes alive. Yeah, I mean, this was like as bad as it uh as bad as the score looks. The Bears, I, I thought this was gonna be, and the total, I mean, this ended up clearing did it clear the total i was like right at the total because the bears did not carry their weight at all the total was like 52 and this looked like a game that was going to smash the total and the lions held up their end of the bargain and justin fields like the poor guy one he he probably does have a lot to to work on and simply like like acknowledging pressure taking the throwaways when it's your best option but man he got beat up in this game he had like a 60 yard run right off the bat and we were talking about this before these games kicked off where it's like difficult to understand like how can you should you be ranking justin fields as like the qb2 every week because he puts up he puts up the qb1 one overall number so many times because it was rushing you're like he can't keep getting away with these 50 yard carries he can keep getting away with these 60 yard carries but at the end of a i think it was a 60 something odd yard carry he comes up like he slows down like he clearly was like full speed ahead on the first 20 yards and like defenders kind of run him down at the end. Very next, like very next off series, right? Where the other team is on offense. Trainers are checking out, like stretching out his legs or something. Then later in the game, he gets checked out for concussion and they, they didn't entirely shut his running down, but it certainly took a hit and that's why you're playing field. So ultimately the way the bears played basically after two drives was not the way that's going to put up a ton of points. And I don't blame this again, them in this game, like fields was under pressure constantly you're not you're out of the playoff hunt by a mile like you're, you're mathematically eliminated as of a month ago or whatever they it's fine to play him this way i if this were a regular week five game you'd be incredibly frustrated with how it went but that's just what happens when it's week 17 so there was a potential for a real shootout fields gets dinged up and then the lions just coast mm-hmm. against this terrible chicago defense yeah, that makes sense. Um, Komet here led the team with 27 receiving yards, two receptions and a touchdown and those 27 yards on three targets. Not not great. I mean, 75 yards passing for Fields. It is kind of tough that he doesn't have anything else to go back to. Like if the rushing game isn't working for him, it's. Yeah, there's there's I mean, this game was probably I mean, this game was like, you know, statistically even worse for him as a passer than most other games this year. But uh, I I think a lot of that still falls on just his inability to like, you know, to 
take play action as easily when he's like clearly not at full health and the defense doesn't have to respect his rushing ability nearly as much when they can tell that he's just going to be treated like a pocket passer down the stretch. And, and like I said, I don't think that's a flaw of the game design as much as just unfortunately, like he was clearly beat up in this game and I'm almost shocked. They, I mean, they kept him in through the end of the game. I'm like shocked. They did not pull him at the top of the fourth, let alone never pulling him. So he he just com- became the most one-dimensional player or a, a very one-dimensional player. He still got some carries by the end of the game or in the end of the game, but he did become much less of the Justin Fields we've come to know and love, and that crushes his passing game when he becomes a non-dual threat, essentially. I don't know that there's too much to note about the running game here. Uh, yeah. Like Going forward, Dave Montgomery had 6 for 24. Khalil Herbert had 5 for 31. If they're not getting it done in this type of game, uh, I mean, granted, it was negative game script, but um, this is a good matchup, and yeah. uh, it's just, it looks pretty split. So I'm not sure if you're really eyeing these guys up for Week 18. Uh, on the Lions side, Jamal Williams, 22 carries, 144 yards, and a touchdown. DeAndre Swift, 12 carries, 78 yards, and a touchdown. Swift also had four catches, 39 yards, and a touchdown on four targets. Williams had one for 13 on one target. So very productive day for their backfields. And I mean, that is pretty encouraging given that we know it's going to be split. We know that even if Justin Jackson isn't around, we're going to see a third back enter the mix a little bit. But, um, you know, both of the top two guys, super productive. Yeah, it's difficult to say. I, I don't think it was early in the game. Craig Reynolds over as their third back. Justin Jackson was out. Reynolds comes in as the sometimes passing downs and also kick returner. Uh, you know, it's difficult to tell because I can't count snaps in my head as I'm watching these games, but it looked like he was on the field less than we've seen Justin Jackson. That's also difficult to tell because Justin Jackson will play like 15 snaps and get one catchless target, right? But just eyeballing it, we did see more of DeAndre Swift as the third down back than we have seen throughout most of the season. And it shows up in his touch totals. It shows up in his touchdowns. Like, I think DeAndre Swift is, I don't know, best used i'd love to see him get 25 touches a game but i don't think you mind that much if he's still going out and and somewhat locked in for at least a dozen carries he's tony pollard-esque in that way in that as long as you can sort of guarantee him and maybe justin jackson come comes back and takes this guarantee away but if you could guarantee him to just play the passing downs and straight up the number two role in the backfield not even one b just number two you'd be happy with that that'd be a pretty good shot at number two like rb2 numbers because he's so efficient the line's good, and the offense overall is good, putting everyone, including Jamal Williams, in positions to score touchdowns. Yeah, I, I completely agree. If you knew you were getting this, uh, you'd take it. Thoughts on Amon Ross St. Brown, four for 62 on five targets. This was kind of the spot of all spots for Amon Ross St. Brown. And then the, the offense hit. It wasn't like the Lions disappointed. Yeah, so how does Amon Ross St. <laughs> Brown not hit here? And I will say, you know, I think the answer is probably – it's got to be the backfield stuff because he did lead the team with 62 receiving yards. Yeah, exactly. He led the team. Uh, it wasn't like a massive target share in this game, uh, but you know, five of 29 uh, thrown passes go his way, which led the team Four catches tied Deandre Swift for a team high as did 62 receiving yards. Wasn't the dominance of the targets, but it was still the lead. And that's, that's, you know, you're playing for the dominance, but if the downswing is still leading your team in all receiving categories, that's to be expected from like a number one receiver for a four for 62 line to be the downswing. 
you have to accept that even if it means in the fantasy championship he didn't quite come through. And like you said, it's because touchdowns went to other players. I mean, they literally put up 41 points and not a single wide receiver caught a touchdown. Brock Wright gets in for two. And wasn't it last week or two weeks ago that Shane Zilstra got three? Like Last week, right, that he caught three? Uh, yeah, man. Like If you're relying on Amon Ra, though, that's just mostly randomness. I don't think he is quite the elite red zone threat that some other players are, but it's splitting hairs. You're not, he's not such a quote, useless red zone player that you can expect the tight ends to get all the touchdowns, let alone the talent discrepancy between him and the tight ends. So frankly, you know, there can be some sort of analysis of what happened in this game. I just think it's bad luck that he doesn't get in the end zone because freaking Brock Wright scores too. Yeah. I mean, I think that's... There's not much to take away, right? right? Like, it's not like, oh, we got to start respecting Brock Wright. No, like, if we play this game out a bunch of times, Amon Ross scores in a lot of those games. Well, you know what's going to happen now. It's going to be James Mitchell. He's going to score four touchdowns. No, please. No. (laughs) It will be. All right. Let's move to the the 49ers who defeated the Raiders 37-34 to in an unexpected overtime shootout. This game was fun. It was a little sloppy. I think both quarterbacks made their fair share of mistakes, as evidenced by Jared Sims' two interceptions, one of which was the duck of all ducks in overtime, trying to go to Devontae Adams nowhere near him. Uh, That one obviously ends the game with a long return. Brock Purdy, uh, one interception himself, and missed a handful of like open touchdown throws. He had Jawan Jennings with a step on his man, can't get it over the shoulder, like bread basket type of throw. Not an easy throw to make, but those are kind of the throws you need to be making if this team is going to be, I mean, they're still, I think, vying for the one seed, if I, if I remember correctly. They need some stuff to break their way, but if you're going to be that caliber of team, you hope your quarterback makes that. And Kittle, sorry if this, I know this hurts you personally. Maybe you have some sort of investment in this. He had Kittle wide open across deep middle field and, and just cannot make maybe his 20 or 30 yard throw, just did not make it. He can make that sometimes, but he's not nearly consistent enough to make it in this case. And uh, Kittle, if it was a well-thrown ball, leads him, lets him get yards after the catch, it's probably a walk-in touchdown for Kittle, a long one too. So even though oh, Sidham okay. threw more, yeah, I, I know. I'm sorry to sorry. So to yeah, break. what Kyle's referencing. So uh, as we sit here right now, I am currently in first place at Best Ball Mania 3. And if I had gotten that touchdown, my odds of actually holding first place <laughs> would be much higher. So it's, it's uh Tough scene, tough scene. Uh, it was still, it was still a lot of good, uh, you know, good throws from him. Some really strong tight window throws, but like the inconsistencies of him being the last pick of the draft and making his, I think, third or fourth. This is his fourth start, actually, I believe. Uh, those inconsistencies showed in this game, and they they show in Kittle's not massive stat line, though he does get in the end zone on a on a nice scramble and throw by Purdy to the back of the end zone. Um, Christian McCaffrey. Had an awesome game here. 19 rushes, 121 yards and a touchdown. Uh, Six receptions for 72 yards. Looked great. Uh, He's a guy that I was also hoping would not do well for the specific sweat that I had. But it was like one of those things where he would do stuff I didn't want him to do and then go, He's really good. I know. <laughs> like, like uh, you know, when some some third – oh, here you go. When, uh, when Brock Wright scores the second touchdown, you're like – Come on, really, Brock Wright? When McCaffrey does it, you're like, well, that was still pretty awesome. Uh, yeah. many There are many things he did in this great game that were great, and he nearly got it would have been like probably it would have been like over 200 yards from scrimmage and another touchdown, but he takes a screen 38 yards into the red zone, 
they give him a breather because 38 yards is a long, it's long distance to run. In fact, and Jordan Mason picks up 14 yards and gets in the end zone. But that was Mason's one of his two carries on the day. That was almost what I found most exciting about this game because mostly every time you see McCaffrey, you just expect him to be great, but they have generally kind of split up the backfield. They've given him like the every third or fourth drive off just to let one of the grinders in two weeks ago or a week ago. It was Ty Davis price. This game, it went back to Jordan Mason. Mason had two carries. TDP had one. Like I do think, especially as we move into the playoffs, when push comes to shove, depending on how we get Eli Mitchell back or not, but if they don't have him, we might just be getting 25 plus like as a floor for McCaffrey. Cause really when this team is trying to win playoff games, don't put Jordan Mason out there. And they didn't in this game as they're fighting for a number one seed. So that might be a little bit telling that they won't have a backup that gets snaps if Eli Mitchell isn't back. If he is, he's pretty good. Well, Jordan Mason did score a late touchdown. Um, yeah, that was that was the one after the uh, the 38-yard, 34, 38-yard oh, catch. Right, okay. He, okay. he immediately took over. Just give CMC a breather. He gets It was a nice run, but uh, you know, I'm sure if he doesn't get in the end zone on that play... McCaffrey's coming back in, if not on the next snap, one more breathing snap. Good job, Jordan. Um, <laughs> <laughs> on the Devontae, uh, on the Raiders side, Devontae Adams had seven catches, 153 yards, two touchdowns on 11 targets. Didn't seem to miss a beat here with Derek Carr out. Yeah, the Sidham I thought had a good game as far as he blew it at the end really bad, but there was a lot of good stuff leading up to that. Uh, the culmination of which was the final drive that crossed into and under the two minute warning where he, he threw a like he had a deep like seven step drop and threw a heave 45 yards gained. It was probably 50 some odd yards of like air yards uh, to give Devonte Adams, the best receiver in the league, a better than 50 50 shot at catching a giant pass that they needed to get near the end near the end zone because they needed a touchdown to tie it up. And he makes the throw. He made a really strong throw. He made a couple of other th- good throws. He made some bad ones too because he's Jared Stidham but it was better than I expected my expectation low coming into this and he targeted the best players he targeted them downfield and he hit them relatively often on that same drive too I think it was the very next play he threw a ball that I'm not even sure it was catchable to Darren Waller but it was only Darren Waller catchable in deep back of the end zone Waller draws DPI sets up Josh Jacobs one yard touchdown he looked like a, a perfectly fine backup, low-level starter caliber in this game. Made mistakes, but he at least played to win. So I'd be fine if you're playing in Week 18 or maybe more so for DFS. You know, we, we probably should have been a little less afraid of specifically what Jared Siddham was going to do to Devontae Adams. Probably Darren Waller, too, though, because they're so good, and he's fun. And this matchup is tough. So for it him is. to do it here, I think, is pretty, you know, it is encouraging for, you know, if you're thinking about Week 18. Josh Jacobs, uh, 17 carries, 69 yards, and a touchdown. Talked about Adams, talked about Waller. I mean, these are the guys we care about in this Mm -hmm. offense. It's a concentrated offense. It's not like we're worried about ancillary pieces here. So everyone we care about scored a touchdown, and that's that's great. Brandon Bolden got eight carries. Josh Jacobs left with a hip thing for like one drive, and five Bolden's carries came on that drive. If your box score surfing, write those off. They're not – they don't mean anything. Just FYI. Okay. Thanks, Scott. Have a good one. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.
Just a reminder that if you don't have the NBC Sports Predictor app, go download it now. The contests are free and easy to play, and you have a shot to win thousands this weekend by predicting what will happen during bowl season and in the Premier League. There's also $100,000 up for grabs by guessing the outcome in our Sunday Night 7 contest of the Sunday Night Football game next week. The Patriots defeated the Dolphins 23-21. to And Denny Carter, this is a game where the Dolphins' starting quarterback got hurt again. It was kind of a, a replay of the last time uh, Tua was out with a concussion and Teddy Bridgewater comes in as the uh, you know viable backup and, uh, and gets hurt. And this time he appeared to break his uh, a finger on his throwing hand during a tackle on an interception return for a touchdown for New England. So really just a, a really terrible series of events there for the Dolphins. Um, yeah, for sure. <laughs> Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say that Bridgewater, he completed uh, 12 of 19 attempts and Skylar Thompson completed 12 of 21 attempts. So he missed a big chunk of this game and Skylar Thompson played a lot. He did. And, and and he, he was not good. He, he, Skylar Thompson refuses to go downfield to Tyreek Hill. Uh, Lots of dump offs. Raheem Mostert ended up uh, eight targets, caught all eight of them for 62 yards and a touchdown. Um, He actually, he caught the touchdown from Teddy Bridgewater. I wanted to make that clear. Um, and uh, Jeff Wilson ran more routes uh, than Mostert and, uh, and was somewhat involved uh, in, in the passing game too. Uh, Jeff Wilson saw three, three catches on, on seven targets, so lots of checkdowns. You know, 15 combined targets for the Dolphins. Uh, running backs, you had Mike Kosicki getting four targets, which is abnormally high. Trent Sherfield saw six short area targets. So it was all kind of dinking and dunking for the Dolphins, as you can tell by the yardage totals. Overall, just a really poor day against, by the way, against a New England secondary, missing at least three key defenders. So they, they were not at full health either. Interesting. All right. Um, on the other side of this, I feel like the Mondre Stevenson splitting time with Damian Harris uh, could be a concern. Where? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah. Uh, it, well, it's I. I don't know. I'm trying not to overstate it, but it's uh, pretty close to a fantasy disaster for Ramondre Stevenson. Uh, you have uh, he ran 17 routes on 37 dropbacks for Mac Jones. Damian Harris ran 14 routes, so that is a split in pass routes, which is a nightmare. Of course, four targets for Ramondre, three for Damian Harris, and uh, Harris saw. I'm sorry, Harris. I'm looking for. Oh, saw nine carries to eight carries for Stevenson. Um, you know, so, you know, that it's over. Like <laughs> that, that, that role that we had for Stevenson, uh, that's all, that's all out the window. Um, it was fun while it lasted. It and, was uh, and now it's, now it's gone. So that, you just have to accept that. And Harris, I saw was getting like work around the goal line, like all the high value stuff doesn't, I mean, not that it's all going Harris's way, but he is like a thorn yeah. in the side of Stevenson for all of it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm looking at the some PF, PFF data right now. Uh, two goal line carries for Damian Harris, only one for Ramondre. Um, I'm sorry, none from Ramondre. And uh, the two minute drill, which they didn't use a whole lot, was the two minute drill was all Damian Harris. What's going on, Pat? What is that's this? so weird, man? I, I could now. This is just a crazy theory, but is it possible that they got mad? He was just catching the ball and falling down. <laughs> that's I, I if i were the coach you know I, that, that's that's what I, I would say look yeah you gotta stop falling down man 
<laughs> I feel like maybe you caused this, Danny. You, <laughs> you, actually, you actually got them to, to make a change. I, I you, you know I'm a Ramondre truther from way back, so I, I, I did no such thing. But yeah, I mean, it, as, look, as the comments uh, in, in our in our uh, NBC Sports Edge mentions say, of course they split the the back the backfield workload. That's what they do with the Patriots. So we should have just yeah. listened to a football knower five seven two four one nine. He does know football. You got to give him that. Uh, Tyquan Thornton here, three for 60 on seven targets and a touchdown. He almost had a second touchdown as well. Kind of the ball was tipped. And then he is like kind of repositioned his feet. Unfortunately, one of those feet was then repositioned on the uh, back line of the end zone. Didn't count. Uh, But Jacoby Myers scored, I think, on the following play, six for 48 on nine targets and a touchdown for Myers. So, you know, decent, decent game for the, the receivers here. Yeah, uh, I mean, on, on a, a low volume day, you know, you, you have uh, Mac Jones only only throwing thirty three times, uh, completing twenty of those for two hundred and three yards. Lots of uh, obviously lots of short area stuff, but yeah, Ta- Taquan Thornton uh, is a full time player. Uh, thirty five routes on thirty seven dropbacks for Mac Jones, seven targets, which was second only to Jacoby Myers. He had sixty yards and that touchdown. Like he he's clearly the most explosive. Uh, receiver in this offense you know like he 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 separates really well he he got open pretty much at will against the Dolphins um Jacoby Myers remains Mac Jones's favorite target um not much that's going to happen you know change there for the next week of the regular season but uh, Thornton Thornton has I think has become interesting and has definitely supplanted both Aguilar uh and Kendrick Bourne as the as a a full-time receiver in that offense yeah it it is interesting to note Let's move to the Green Bay Packers who defeated the Vikings 41 to 14. Uh, and you noted before we started that the Vikings had major issues on the offensive line here. Yeah. So they came in missing their starting center. And in the first quarter, in the first half of the first quarter, they lost two more starting offensive linemen for the whole for the game. They'll probably miss significant time. At least one of them is is out. And and I wish I uh, they have names, okay. Uh, I don't know their <laughs> names right now, but but I'm just going to tell you that the offensive line for Minnesota was a complete wreck. Uh, Cousins was under constant duress. the The Packers knew that they were a wreck, so they were blitzing him uh, pretty much at, at every opportunity. And Cousins, of course, kind of melted down. Um, Jay Jair Alexander, after a uh, a week of trash talking about Justin Jefferson, really followed through quite well to the detriment of many fantasy teams, including my own, uh, and locked down Justin Jefferson, wiped him off the face of the planet uh, in a in a football sense, I should say. And uh, Jefferson ended up with one catch for 15 yards before the Vikings pulled the starters in the fourth quarter because it was such a bloodbath. It was really bad. Yeah, when Jalen Naylor leads the team in receiving yards, something has gone wrong. Yeah, ter- something terribly wrong. And, uh, you know, they, they couldn't even go downfield to Jefferson. Like, they couldn't even try those shots because Cousins had no time to let these plays develop. On the other side of the game, Aaron Jones looked pretty healthy to me. 14 rushes, 111 yards, excuse me. Uh, doesn't have a rushing touchdown. AJ Dillon pounded in a, an end zone uh, carry, a goal line carry. Twelve carries for him, forty-one yards and a touchdown. Yeah. And then Aaron Jones had three targets, only two for two receptions for two yards. AJ Dillon had one target, didn't catch it. 
Yeah, you know, I don't know if there's something going on health-wise. I mean, you, you said Aaron Jones looked healthy. I thought he did. But his role still really wasn't that of a healthy Aaron Jones, or at least what we've come to expect. Uh, when you look at the route uh, split here, A.J. Dillon uh, ran two more routes than Aaron Jones on the day. Only saw the one target, but it is obviously important who's running the most routes. Um, Patrick Taylor was was sprinkled in there, I guess, because the game got a little bit out of hand. Uh, you know, Dylan remained the preferred goal line back, uh, and I guess that should be that should not come as a as a surprise. But I think AJ Dylan has officially, I mean, probably a couple weeks ago, honestly, uh, made this so that Aaron Jones is a somewhat touchdown dependent RB two rather than you know a, an RB one seeing twenty five touches and and a lot of the uh, high value stuff near the goal line. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. All right, thanks, Danny. Thank you. The Browns defeated the Commanders 24-10, to and Zach Kruger, Carson Wentz was back in this game, but it did not help. It didn't help. The spark that he was supposed to provide ended up being nearly non-existent. Uh, he did get in the end zone on a rushing touchdown, a quarterback sneak on a, on a one-yard dive. That Actually, it was crazy. It was on a 21-yard drive that took up 11 minutes of the third quarter or of the second quarter. We could talk about that drive alone all day. Um, there's a very long drawn out drive, 21 plays, um, which included 17 rush attempts and just four passes. But going back to look, just look at the game on the whole, the first drive for the commanders started off with two incompletions by Carson Wentz. The second one being an, uh, an interception by, by uh, Denzel Ward of the Browns after Wentz stared down Terry McLaurin on just, just a, a bad decision, a bad throw. Uh, Ward was able to jump the route and get a, get underneath of it, and sure enough, it turned into a, a ball going the other way for the Browns. And then later on, went throughout kind of like an arm punt from deep in his own territory that ended up being picked off in the in, in the first half as well. And then in the second half, mounting what they were hoping was some kind of a comeback ended up being non-existent as well. It was a as a deep pass in the end zone, a double coverage to uh, Jahan Dotson that also ended up getting picked off by the Browns. And what was just, I mean, it was a truly atrocious day for Wentz. He missed several uh, passes just in the flats where he had running backs wide open, threw a couple in the dirt, threw a couple over running backs. Only touchdown was a rushing touchdown, the quarterback sneak, then three interceptions to probably put, a, you know, an exclamation point, if we can say that, on the end of his uh, time in Washington, if I had to guess. Yeah, not a great way to go out. Uh, Brian Robinson here got the full workload, you know, maybe not the complete workload in a James Conner type of way that we've been seeing recently, but 24 carries and 87 yards rushing. Jonathan Williams mixed in a little bit, nine rushes for 30 yards. Brian Robinson was only targeted once, uh, but and John, Jonathan Williams was targeted five times, going three for three yards. But still, Brian Robinson carried the bulk of the load here in terms of the carries. Um only 3.6 yards per carry, but what were your thoughts on him? So so the Brian Robinson usage is frustrating at times, and, and then at other times it, it makes perfect sense. So it's frustrating at times. For example, we knew Antonio Gibson wasn't active for this one. It was actually Jonathan Williams who got the start um, in this one for Washington on that first drive. He was out there, I believe, for every play that they ran on offense. 
Jonathan Williams himself did not do a lot in this game. But then it makes sense to see Brian Robinson in other cases where, like I said earlier, they had a 21-play drive that went for 96 yards. It, it was truly atrocious to watch just because it was the slowest drive ever. But they did eventually get down there and score. But Brian Robinson, of his 24 carries he had on the day, he had um, 11 of those carries on that single 21-yard or on that single 21-play drive alone that ended up going for 38 total yards on the ground. So, like you, you see Washington at times use Brian Robinson in that role that they kind of said that that's why they drafted him in the third round. They want to use him as a guy who's going to grind down clock, help them establish, run, do all that stuff. I think the the one downside to Robinson is he's not been the most efficient runner this year. I believe on the season he's averaging under four yards per carry. He has times where he just looks like he's just going to run through defenders and around defenders, but mixed in with those occasional runs are a lot of just getting stuff to the line of scrimmage. Also not being used in short yard situations like we would envision. There was a handful of times where it was actually Jonathan Williams getting the short yard situations and he, he got stuffed on a few plays um, and just tackled behind the line of scrimmage when you, you know, after everything we heard all offseason, you think those are going to be plays that go to Brian Robinson, and they weren't. So I didn't think Robinson looked efficient in this one, obvious by his fewer than four yards per carry. But then I also just think his usage was rather strange for this one, um, for for a fourth-string running back, essentially, to be seeing work over him in certain areas. I know that he's not necessarily a pass-catching back that Antonio Gibson is, but I'm also not sure that Jonathan Williams is that guy either. On the other side of this, uh, Nick Chubb, highly efficient. 14 rushes for 104 yards, 7.4 yards per carry. Didn't score a touchdown. Uh, was only targeted once. Did catch that uh, target for 12 yards. But, you know, Chubb looking like Chubb, it seems like. Chubb looked like Chubb in this one. He he, he had a quick burst, too, uh, in the in the first quarter. It was after a failed fourth down attempt by the, by the commanders. It, it, it quickly turned around. Uh, Cleveland got the ball back. Chubb ripped off a 14-yard rush, and then right after that, a 35-yard rush. Averaged over seven yards per carry on the day. I also think that one of the things that aided his ability to kind of, you know, break through and do what we're used to seeing him doing is the fact that Jonathan uh, Allen, the defensive tackle for the commanders, he was actually out for the majority of this game. Uh, he, he exited in the second quarter with what appeared to be some kind of a knee injury. He did not return. Uh, Allen, as we know, is a pro bowler. He, he's, he's one of the best defensive tackles in the league. Um, certainly Nick Chubb is, is not intimidated by players like that, but certainly whenever they are pulled out of a defense, it's only going to add to his ability to produce on the ground. Like you said, he didn't score in this one, but it, it was another highly efficient day for Nick Chubb in a game where really he kind of did everything that the Browns needed him to do. Uh, and then the rest of the way, it was Amari Cooper just pulling off a couple of long scores. We can talk about more of that in a minute. But Nick Chubb definitely, I think, you know, came up when needed, um, was able to keep the ball moving, keep the yards short for the for the Browns all day long, um, and which is why Deshaun Watson only had to even attempt 18 passes on the day, his fewest in any game of the season. Yeah, and Watson has been very, very disappointing since he returned uh, 169 yards and three touchdowns. So, you know, he was pretty productive on his 18 attempts, uh, at least as far as scoring touchdowns go. Not a ton of yards, but not a ton of volume either. And we had at least one fantasy relevant receiver here, Mari Cooper, three catches, 105 yards, and two touchdowns on four targets. David Njoku, though, only one for 21 on three targets. No one else really fantasy relevant here. Um, Donovan Peoples-Jones had one for 13 and a touchdown on three targets, um, but probably not a, a very frequent fantasy championship week starter. But just thoughts on this passing game. Obviously, you know, there's going to be long-term uh, implications to whether or not they can get things going with Watson. 
Yeah, well, I think for me, and this is really the first time I've gotten to watch Watson at any length over the course of the season, but I think for me, the one thing that stood out um, watching him, I, I, certainly I'm sure he's rusty from, from a, a talent and playing football perspective, but there were definitely times in the first half of this game where I just thought he looked confused with running the offense. I thought he looked overwhelmed at times with the pressure that was getting in his face. We know Washington has a good uh, defensive front. Uh, and Watson was under pressure a good bit in this one. I was actually rather impressed with how many times he forced several defenders to just miss tackles, but but he ended up running around a few times just trying to extend plays. He had a um, illegal touching penalty that was quite literally the result of him. He was scrambling around. He didn't have anyone to throw it to. He checked down to offensive lineman Jack Conklin, um, who could not catch the ball. So so that was a penalty on Conklin by way of Watson scrambling around trying to make plays happen. He, he looked confused at times, even on the fact uh, that even knowing that he threw three three touchdowns in this one. Those were really just kind of more so individual efforts by the receivers who he was throwing to rather than him making these stellar plays. Uh, the first one was a 46-yard touchdown um, to, to Amari Cooper, where it was an out route. Cooper caught the ball for, for basically the requisite yards needed on whatever the distance of the play was. The defender tried to force him out of bounds, failed to do so, and then Cooper turned it up the field the rest of the way for the score. Um, the Donovan Peoples-Jones touchdown, that was a touchdown that just came across the middle in what was a short area of the field. Like you mentioned, he scored from 13 yards out. And then on the final touchdown of the game, it was Amari Cooper on a 33-yard score. At that point in time, Cleveland was basically running the ball out, um, just grinding it out towards the end of the fourth quarter. On that play, it really looked like Washington just kind of sold out to stop the run, and then they went and hit Cooper over the top for, for a touchdown that was basically uncontested. He had like one defender to beat to the goal line, which he inevitably did, and 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 kind of helped the the Browns put that game away. So Watson, I, I don't think he looks that impressive so far. I don't, I think the numbers by all the games that we've seen certainly back that up. And then I think in this way, in a big way, Amari Cooper carried him 105 yards, three catches, two touchdowns. Awesome. All right. Thanks, Zach. All right. Take care, Pat. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed. Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Download the RotoWorld app to receive breaking news all season long. Stay ahead of the competition by favoring players on your roster. Get the latest injury updates, player news, and much more delivered right to your phone. It's available on your app store today. The Giants defeated the Colts 38-10. to And Lawrence Jackson, the Giants have now clinched a playoff berth. Yeah, man, it's a definite playoff move for them. So, you know, Next week's game against the Eagles means absolutely nothing for them. So you could see some players, you know, like Daniel Jones, Saquon Barkley, you may see them sit this one out as like an unofficial bye week. But uh, we'll have to see what goes on there, man. But, yeah, Giants first time in the playoffs since 2016. Wow. That, that is wild. Um, Saquon Barkley did not have a very impressive game here. 12 rushes for 58 yards, uh, had four targets, caught two of those, but had negative five receiving yards. Uh, so, you know, a pretty disappointing day for Saquon and not a not a terrible matchup. Uh, what were your thoughts yeah. on that? Yeah, you know, he uh, he had a couple of good runs early, you know, um, even, even burst out for a 19-yard run early, but never could really get going. 
uh, used a lot of the, uh, you know, read option to help free up Daniel Jones for him and his running. Not only his running, but uh, the passing too. Uh, the defense was kind of keyed in on Saquon Barkley, so they made sure to bottle him up. The problem was was that Daniel Jones went ahead and uh, rushed for 91 yards and two scores. Yeah, he he had an incredible day. Uh, he also threw for two pa- threw for two passing touchdowns, nineteen for twenty four on one hundred and seventy seven yards through the air. Uh, those touchdowns went to Richie James and Isaiah Hodgins. Not exactly the most fantasy relevant receivers, but still a very nice day if you had Daniel Jones. Yeah, um, two. This is um, two weeks in a row where Richie James and Isaiah Hodgins led the uh, the receiving course. And uh, you know, Daniel Jones just taking. He took what the defense gave him. He actually threw both of those touchdowns to those dudes uh, early in the game. So he got his touchdown passes out the way first. And then he uh, pretty much just got all his money on the ground there. On the other side of this game, Nick Foles got hurt. So we had a heavy dose of Sam Ellinger, who had uh, 14 attempts. Foles only had 13, not a ton from either guy. Foles had 8 for 13 and 81 yards passing with an interception. Ellinger, 9 uh, nine of 14 attempts, 60 yards passing and a touchdown, no interceptions. Uh, but not a ton of offense here from the Colts. Yeah, no, it, it was a, you know, a bad sighting. Not as bad as last week, like the Chargers, but still bad. Uh, nonetheless, for a second week in a row, Zach Moss was the best player on their offense. He ran effectively with his 74 yards on 15 carries. The problem is that the game got away from him, and they went to the pass, but the pass just wasn't working. Uh, Ellinger was able to, uh, you know, get a nice little garbage touchdown for those folks out there who still was trotting out Michael Pittman in a fantasy lineups. Yeah, so he Michael Pittman had six for 41 and a touchdown on eight targets. Paris Campbell actually led the team with three for 52 on six targets. Johnny Woods was the third leading receiver with only 19 yards, catching three or four targets. So that garbage time touchdown or was it garbage time that, that they Pittman touched down? Oh yeah, one hundred percent. That that touchdown came when the when the two minute warning was coming up. Uh, the oh, score wow. was uh, the score was thirty eight to three or thirty one to three at the time. And you know, Samuel, the, you know, he helped out the Michael Pittman folks in fantasy. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Zach Moss here had fifteen carries, seventy four yards. Jordan Wilkins, six for 23. But it seems like, for whatever reason, Zach Moss kind of has this backfield right now, I guess. Oh, yeah. Something to note for Week 18. Yeah, second straight week with uh, 65 rushing yards, at least. Um, the Deion Jackson experience or experiment or the Deion Jackson thought process is now over. Is you know, Jordan Wilkins has leapfrogged him in the pecking order for running backs. Yep. Let's move to the uh, Chargers who defeated the Rams 31-10. to And Austin Eckler here, after showing up on the practice report, limited with a knee, weren't sure how much we were going to get from him. He went off 10 rushes for 122 yards and two touchdowns, also caught four receptions for 39 yards on four targets. Eckler, he's a, we know he's a big-time fantasy player. He won people some fantasy leagues today. Yeah, and he said he was going to do it, too. You saw the video he got on social media with the fantasy belt and was like, hey, I'm coming to help y'all win. And 
whoever had him, he definitely helped them win. Um, you know, looked explosive. You not really, we not really used to used to seeing him run for long touchdown runs. You know, so it was uh, you know, nice to see him break out and get through the hole and run for seventy two yards for a touchdown. It only took him ten carries to go. For the 122, then as usual, he does his thing in the receiving game as well. Yeah, yeah, I, I completely agree. That long touchdown was was kind of a treat. We don't usually see that. It's more he racking up. He's racking up a lot of underneath volume with receptions, which he was involved in. But you know, more more on the ground today. Josh yeah. Kelly had nine for 45. Larry Roundtree ten for 15. So there was there was other guys in the backfield, but Eckler. Yeah, you know, the efficiency I mean, was there. I, I, yeah, Eckler and Justin Herbert and Keenan Allen and all those guys did most of their work in three quarters and some change. Mm-hmm. They all went out early in the fourth quarter because it was a blowout, you know. So there you go with that. Yeah, Keenan Allen, five for 60 on six targets. Uh, Mike Williams, seven for, for 94 on 10 targets. Not the biggest games, but to your point, they didn't have full games to work with. So decent outings considering. Yeah, uh, you know, Justin Herbert kind of just did, you know, pretty much what the Giants did, just took what the defense gave him. Uh, Mike Williams made a couple of wild catches, one-handed catches near the sideline, and uh, Keenan Allen, you know him, just uh, always open. Uh, Gerald Everett snuck in the end zone. If you had to start him, he kind of saved your day with that touchdown catch, so decent day for the Chargers offense as a whole. What were your thoughts on the Rams, uh, in particular Cam Akers, has kind of come alive as like a reliable fantasy option to close the season. He had 123 rushing yards here, 19 carries. Uh, I also saw a target to Cam Akers that he did not catch. He, he had one for 10 as a receiver, oh, but he man, had another target. Yeah. yeah, tell me about that. Yeah, man, that was a potential 60-yard touchdown. There was nothing but green grass in front of him. Baker just kind of, you know, he recognized it a little late then just kind of overshot him. Uh, Maybe a a top-tier receiver might have made that catch, but just a little bit out of uh, Akers' range. But he, that that one would have. That one would have blew it open for him. But, you know, without a touchdown for Cam, this game still a good game. He was the only one on offense, on that Rams offense, that was uh, getting anything going. He actually had a season-long run of 42 yards. The only thing that kind of was, you know, not exciting about that was that on the third and three from 23 yards out, they ran it to Malcolm Brown up the middle, and he was actually able to take advantage of the big hole and score the touchdown. So mm. the Rams was just able to run all over the Chargers. It just didn't matter because the Rams couldn't cash in whenever they got close to the end zone. Any thoughts on their their passing game? Um, Baker Mayfield, 11-19 of 19 for 132 yards. Uh, you know, maybe yeah, slightly you know, better throwing yeah, ball. He's got a touchdown to Akers, but. Yeah, just kind of they came back down to earth, man. Uh, Van Jefferson, he had 77 yards. Most of the, that production came on two uh, two deep balls, you know. Uh, but other than that, man, there wasn't really nothing. Tyler Higby, he went back into hiding after blowing up in Week 16. I mean, he went back into hiding in a major way, um, 11 yards. But 
Yeah, man. It wasn't nothing. I, I think the the fact that they was able to run the ball so well, yet not, you know, get play action off of it like they did last week versus the Broncos was probably frustrating for them. But, you know, it's it's the Rams. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Lawrence. No problem. The Falcons defeated the Cardinals 20-19. to I covered this game, and it was a kind of the game that we thought it would be in the sense that uh, the Falcons were very run-driven. They leaned on their backfield in a big way. Tyler Algier had 20 carries for 83 yards and a touchdown. Cordell Patterson had nine carries for 42 yards and a touchdown. He also had eight targets, which tied for the team lead. He had six receptions and 42 yards. So just a ton of production out of the backfield here. Desmond Ritter uh, was kind of game managing here. He did not throw an interception. Uh, He did not throw a touchdown. He had 19 completions on 26 attempts for 169 yards. Not a bad game uh, for Desmond Ritter. Not a particularly good game. He's sort of an interesting quarterback uh, in the sense he he kind of discombobulated under pressure. At one point, he's sort of stepping up into a pocket that's clearly collapsing, kind of had to back up and run out of the pocket, did manage to do so. He had another uh, kind of a pass rush situation where a bunch of pass rushers kind of blew by him and he's off balance and he manages to stay up on his feet. And then, you know, he actually made something out of the play. So, you know, he is, um, I would say, like a little raw in terms of his pocket presence, but he was doing some stuff and and it wasn't a total disaster. Um, the couple interesting things to note, Tyler Algier had a, a run called back. It was a fairly long run. Uh, it was called back. Um, that was a bit disappointing. He also had, at the very end of the game, they the Falcons were in a situation where they could convert a first down if they got just to, I believe, like the two-yard line. Um, that would give them a first down. And scoring would potentially give the Cardinals you know, the ball with a few seconds left. So they what they wanted to do, and they actually took a timeout ahead of this running play was to tell Tyler Algier, get us the first down and then go down. Do not score because then we're going to run the clock all the way down, call timeout, kick a field goal. And Tyler Algier did his job. He got them that first down. But in almost any other situation, Tyler Algier is punching in a second rushing touchdown there. So a couple bigger plays, you know, kind of on the table for Algier here. And I thought he looked really good. He was out of the game a little bit. Uh, he had kind of the wind knocked at him. It looked like a defender fell on him pretty hard. He didn't even go to the medical tent. It took a few plays off, um, comes back in and and played the rest of the game. So nothing to worry about there. He looked good. Patterson looked good as well. But, you know, they're probably going to see kind of a split backfield here. But Algier seems to be a little bit ahead. But as I mentioned, Patterson saw eight targets way more involved in the receiving game. Algier only had one target for 12 yards. And Drake London had eight targets as well. So Patterson tied him for the team lead, which is, you know, kind of exciting. Uh, if you have Patterson as kind of a flex option for next week, you know, I think you can consider him there. Who knows? He's 31. Maybe they're not going to play him as much in kind of a meaning, well, truly a meaningless game next week uh, for both teams. Uh, so but who knows what they're going to do there. But uh, definitely a good sign to see Patterson involved in the passing game in a meaningful way. Uh, Drake London, that's a 31% target share, his eight targets. So kind of seeing the exact same thing with him. He's getting lots and lots of targets relative to how many attempts the Falcons are having. But it's just tough for him to turn in really productive fantasy days because, you know, this is not a high-volume passing game ever. And 26 attempts here, 
uh, was like higher than we've seen at various points uh, throughout the season for Atlanta. Uh, so it's really hard to expect anything more than that next week. Uh, as we go to the uh, Cardinals side here, the most interesting note was that Trey McBride broke out here. Um, now, he didn't have the hugest game. He had 10 targets, 7 receptions, 78 yards, and a touchdown. However, uh, this was a guy who's really not seeing targets. He was running a lot of routes over the last few weeks. He just wasn't earning targets. But DeAndre Hopkins was out for this game. And also, David Blau was at quarterback. Blau had 40 attempts, so plenty of volume. And he was looking for McBride, who you know had a pretty pretty good game here. Gets in the end zone. Uh, his touchdown came on a, uh, a short play uh, where he he kind of stumbled and fell, uh, but managed to get over the line. And no one had touched him, so you know even if he had fallen slightly short, it wouldn't have mattered. So you know he, I think is maybe in the fantasy mix. You know if you've got a uh, really bad tight end situation, this was certainly a positive sign. And and I think obviously much more positive for his long-term outlook. I mean, he has a, a lot of draft capital behind him. Um, Zach Ertz is getting up there and he hadn't really flashed anything. And, and this is, this is really, really strong just to have any kind of excitement about him taking on a bigger role in 2023. Marquise Brown had six for 61 on nine targets. Uh, James Connor was the third leading receiver, three targets, three receptions for 31 yards. He had six, 16 for 79 as a rusher. Didn't have total control of the backfield with Corey Clement mixing in for seven for 32, but uh, really the same story here with Connor. I think you're, you're looking at him as just a volume based running back too. Uh, he will have a lot of volume. I think that's, that's a pretty safe bet in the final week of the season, but that'll do it for the Cardinals and the Falcons. The saints defeated the Eagles 20 to 10. Uh, I covered this game, and this was a tough one for the Eagles, who did not see the ball a ton. They had way less uh, time of possession than the Saints. This is particularly true early in the game. The Saints ended up having 37, a little over 37 minutes in terms of times of possession, and in terms of time of possession for the Eagles, just 22 minutes, 52 seconds, 56 seconds. Um, so, yeah, it was a big disparity between how much the Saints had the ball versus how much the Eagles had the ball. I think that was very much intentional from, from the Saints' perspective. They, they were trying to keep the ball away from the Eagles. Uh, they were doing that with running Taysom Hill, who had 14 attempts in this game, 14 attempts for Taysom Hill, 46 yards and a touchdown for him. He was getting used around the goal line. Uh, really, you know, just a, a lot of the Taysom Hill package, 14 attempts. Uh, Alvin Kamara had 16 attempts for 74 yards. But, yeah, this really cut into his value here. And, you know, I think generally the game plan really cut into Kamara's value where he only had one target, one reception for seven yards. So it's not really just that Taysom Hill's coming in. It's like he's coming in and then they're doing like kind of more power run stuff and gimmicky stuff. And, you know, Kamara might not even be out there or, uh, you know, you're definitely not really looking at kind of the check down stuff. Um, And you're just kind of seeing more of a run heavy game plan overall. You know, Benjamin had two carries. Uh, Adam Prentice had a carry. Uh, so you're looking at, uh, you know, a, a lot of carries, right? 33 carries between the non-Dalton um, type stuff. So this is, it's just, it is, I, I think I underestimated just how kind of rough this situation is for Kamara's value um, because 
they're not really relying on him as kind of the, the short yardage guy. And there's not as many opportunities as we'd like for underneath receptions. Rahid, Rashid Shahid had six for 79 on six targets here. Uh, he had a, a deep shot, 58 yarder. He looked pretty good. Juwan Johnson had five for 62 on seven targets. Chris Olave only four for 42 on five targets. Uh, a little disappointing here, but we know he was nursing that hamstring coming in. I don't think anything to be worried about, uh, it, you know, as we move forward into next year, certainly. But even for next week, uh, I would keep an eye on his practice report, you know, more so than than taking this game into much consideration. Also, a fairly difficult matchup with the Eagles secondary, much easier on the ground. And again, the Saints, they, they bought into that. That's how they attack today. Uh, on the Eagles side, I mean, this was like a super, super quiet game for the Eagles receiving game. And A.J. Brown was, you know, really hadn't done anything to begin the game. And then he got loose down the sideline, cuts it back up across. It was one of these things where they're kind of hand fighting and the hand fighting ended and the defender just kind of exited the picture. He like, like was out, out of bounds and AJ Brown stayed in bounds, catches the ball, takes it to the house. Um, So he had a 78 yard touchdown four for 97 on nine targets. Devontae Smith had nine for 115 on 13 targets. Uh, Dallas Goddard, three for 45 on six targets. Even when this offense is struggling, it is still very concentrated. It is still built around Devontae Smith and A.J. Brown every single week. Even with Dallas Goddard back, that's been the case where it's just been for weeks. And I believe this is now the eighth straight week where Smith and Brown have finished 1-2 in some order in target share. Uh, now, Goddard was out for a number of those weeks, but not all of them. So... Yeah, I think this was kind of worst-case scenario for the Eagles where they didn't have a ton of time of possession. Gardner Minshew is a quarterback. Gardner Minshew, this was not a good game for him. He had a pick six in this game. Uh, he definitely hurt their chances and obviously hurt their chances well relative to Hurts, but I, I think also kind of like a bad Gardner Minshew game, like even what you were hoping from him. This was, this was not the high-end version of it. Uh, Miles Sanders had 12 carries for 61 yards in this game. He almost broke off a really long run. He kind of broke out into the open and was managed to get uh, tripped up by a defender. But if he had been able to break free of that last defender, he, he would have gone to the house. And so definitely a bit of a missed opportunity for him. Um, but in general, this was not really a game where the Eagles were in position to establish it. It was like they needed to, to take their chances to score when they could. They never really kind of got going on offense. They never were really in control of this game. Saints kind of controlled it all the way through. But that'll do it for the Saints and the Eagles. The Chiefs defeated the Broncos 27-4. to And Mark Garcia, the Chiefs kept their hopes alive for the one seed. Yeah, um, it was with the day gap between uh, when they played and when the Bills played, they had to come out and get a win. Um, and it, was, it turned into a closer game than we, we thought coming into this one. Uh, with the large spread, uh, the game being played at Kansas City, where they were allowing under 16 points per game to their opposition this season. Um, <laughs> close, almost like, well, I think 11 points more um, on the road this defense has allowed this season. So um, it, it definitely was closer, I think, than it, it needed to be, at least for Kansas City fans this week. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it was a pretty close game here. And I, I guess let's start with the... Uh, the Broncos side of this and kind of talk through what they were able to do to keep it close. Uh, Albert O kind of uh, emerged here, you know, with Greg Dulcich on IR 
Uh, he had three for 45 and a touchdown. He led the team with 45 receiving yards. Uh, he tied Cortland Sutton for second on the team in targets with six. Um, you know, it wasn't like a crazy day for him, but uh, and maybe I don't know. Does it say something that he that he led the team because it's not like there was a ton of production here. Yeah, it says a lot actually. Um, the, that statement that Albert uh, oh, we'll just say Alberto uh, led the team with 45 receiving yards. I think says um, enough for where the, the this <laughs> team is. Um, he committed two drops, and he it was not a perfect game for um, Albert. Oh, Alberto. <laughs> yeah, good, good <laughs> luck trying to get me to say his name. Um, but yeah, so I think we got a, a significant look at the goods and the bads of, of Alberto this week. Um, the inconsistency, I think, is what has plagued him to third, fourth on the depth chart. You know, he hadn't seen over two offensive snaps since way back in week five. So, um, and, and having a rookie tight end come in and play over him all year uh, has to be um, not too good for his pride. Um, but yeah, he, he scored the lone touchdown of the game for, uh, or I, I guess I should say the lone passing touchdown, reception touchdown for the game um, for the Broncos. Um, got open on a seam up the middle uh, from 25 out. And uh, it was a nice catch, um, had a converging safety. So it was a nice catch in, in semi-traffic down the middle. Um, but yeah, the inconsistency, he's going to have to, you know, overcome that before his athleticism is going to be able to rule out, I think, here. Yeah, so Russell Wilson had a lot of his teammates kind of come to his defense this week, and Russell Wilson had kind of a nice game here. As you mentioned, not a lot in terms of the passing game volume. He threw for 222 yards, completed 26 of 38 attempts. Only the one touchdown does throw for an interception, but he rushes for 27 yards on four carries and, more importantly, for two touchdowns kind of nice to see Ross actually using his legs again. Yeah. The first one was actually a designed keeper, um, basically a rollout into a rush. Um, and that one came from uh, 10 or 16 yards out. So that was good to see. He had two of those called plays that were designed runs. His second rushing score was basically um, escaped the pocket with eyes downfield. Nothing was there. And he saw an opportunity and took it in from five out. So it was good to see at least some level of design for Russ to get out of the pocket and use his legs. We hadn't really seen that all season with Nathaniel Hackett, uh, who got canned on Monday. So um, we'll see how that develops going forward into into the offseason and next year. Obviously, the, the Broncos are <laughs> kind of stuck with him with that contract. Um, and they made their decision. They, they showed us where their cards were. They 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 can to Nathaniel Hackett and they're, they're moving forward with, um, with Russ and whoever they decide to bring in uh, for a head coach. So it'll be interesting to see where that develops. Um, and I think that the, his passing was more a function of the fact that he was just under constant pressure all night from a Kansas city chiefs team that was really able to get home without blitzing too much. Um, their front four was just winning. Um, you know, the four sacks could have been eight just as easily in this mm. game. Um, so, yeah, he was on, sir, under constant pressure. We see that a little bit reflected in the receiving totals. You know, Alberto, um, Eric Saubert, Andrew Beck, the three tight ends that were active today, all seeing targets. We saw uh, Latavius Murray and Chase Edmonds seeing targets. And then Corton Sutton and Jerry Judy were the only two wide receivers to to catch a football today. So, and the fact that Jared Judy, we'll talk about him next, I think, but 
Jared Judy, seven catches on eight targets for only 38 yards. So he was confined to – really it was an, a one-dimensional offense because of the pressure that the Chiefs were able to, to generate up front. Yeah, what were your thoughts on Judy and, and any of these other pass catchers? Yeah, uh, so Judy looked spry. And coming into this game, um, there were questions, or I guess he was listed questionable for a, a good chunk of the week. Coming into this game, not knowing if he was going to play, he actually looked pretty spry, but he was really confined to to slants, to quick hits, to outs, um, and really, really low upside-generating routes. Um, and again, uh, primarily due, I think, to the pressure that Kansas City was able to initiate up front. Cortland Sutton out produced him from a yardage perspective, uh, catching four balls for 44 yards. But really, Cortland Sutton had two consecutive catches on the final drive in the first half and was basically non-existent outside of that. Hmm. Uh, on the Chiefs' side, Kadarius Tony looked really explosive from what I saw. He had a catch along the sidelines where I kind of like saw, uh, like I guess, the nine or whatever. What, what numbers is it where? Um, um but I thought he was Juju yeah. for a second because uh, he wears a similar new number to Juju. I thought he was Juju, and I was like, I've been too hard 19. on Juju. 19. 19, that's what it is, and Juju yeah. wears nine. Yeah, so I was like, I've really been too hard on Juju because he's clearly <laughs> more explosive than I than I really was giving him credit for. No, it was, it was Kadarius Tony. <laughs> yeah, and Tony had – for now that he had finally been healthy, he had been stepping into a little bit more of the – Nicole Hardman like schemed usage role in this offense. And once the team gets down to the red zone, it's been Jarek McKinnon. We'll talk about him here shortly because he um, he had, he set some records today. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, so Tony had been seeing a little bit more schemed usage in this offense, and to start the season over the first half, that had been like Nicole Hardman's real calling card. And to see him go down and then kind of pass that torch off to to Sky Moore, who caught three balls for thirty three yards. It was just like, oh man, this guy has all the talent in the world, but he cannot stay healthy. Yeah, he he certainly does. Um, all right, let's talk McKinnon because he has been an absolute force uh, in fantasy recently. He only had two rushes for four yards here, but at this point, like he is just a wide receiver, right? Six targets, yeah. five receptions, fifty-two yards, and two touchdowns here. Just a ton of fantasy upside here from a guy who you were able to get off the waiver wire in some leagues or came with a very late draft pick. Yeah, and the, the fact that he had two rush attempts, um, I mean, lead quote-unquote lead back, really just the lead back between the 20s, Isaiah Pacheco, only had nine carries. The team only had 16 carries, So, and four of those were from Patrick Mahomes. So um, this was just – it developed into a game plan where Andy Reid was putting the ball in Mahomes' hands to, to go keep them on pace for the top overall seed, and that's kind of just what it developed into. Um, there was a uh, – a really uncharacteristic pick by Patrick Mahomes in the second quarter that led to the Broncos um, scoring a touchdown on Russell Wilson's first rushing score that really kept this game closer because it was looking from the first quarter, the way it played out, it was looking like the chiefs were just going to run away with this. So yeah, but the, the real story here is Jerick McKinnon set the NFL record with a receiving touchdown in five consecutive games for a running Mm -hmm. back. Um, and he has seven over that span. So yeah, for for the the fantasy managers who scooped up one of the fantasy darlings late season off waivers or invested a late draft pick and held on to him, he's really paid dividends towards the end of the season with those seven receiving scores over the last five weeks. So I want to get your thoughts on the kind of just the Chiefs like target tree because 
this is one of the teams we care most about for like any type of playoff format that you're doing, uh, you know, especially like best ball type stuff where you're drafting multiple players on the Chiefs. Because obviously Mahomes, great pick. Kelsey Gate, great pick. He had uh, 10 targets, seven catches, 43 yards here. Not the biggest game, but, you know, <laughs> Kelsey's playing pretty well. But then if you look at the rest of the box score here, Tony, we talked about it being very explosive, but he only had four targets. Sky Moore yeah. had four targets. MVS had seven targets. Justin Watson had two. Juju had three. Isaiah Pacheco had two. Blake Bell had one. Noah Gray had one. Patrick yeah. Mahomes technically had one because a ball bounced <laughs> off a defender, and he caught it. So everyone's getting targeted, even the quarterback. Yeah, he caught it and then took off, so he actually got credited for six receiving yards, <laughs> which was pretty good. Um, yeah, the, it's, I don't think uh, – I don't think – I guess you'd be hard-pressed to find a – a, a wider spread of both snaps and targets behind the top two. So the top two, the, the you know, the two primary pieces of this pass offense are very clearly um, Travis Kelsey and Juju Smith-Schuster, at least from a snap rate perspective. Kelsey is continuing to, to see his eight to 12 weekly targets. And I think he's going to continue to be that target hog through the postseason. But you look at like the snap rates behind those top two it's like MVS is playing 40 to 50% of the snaps. You have Justin Watson who's playing 55 to 65% of the snaps. That's probably going to change once McCole Hardman comes back. Um, on that note, McCole Hardman suffered a setback with his groin injury this week, which could affect his availability for playoff contests and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, Sky Moore and Kadarius Tony had each been playing 25 to 35% of the offensive snaps. So it's just this like, the smattering of of committee style approach behind those two guys and it's less so committee and more so the sense that they just have different packages designed up for different personnel on the field and they're very very good at keeping a defense on their back heels by by rotating through personnel there all right mark garcia appreciate it thanks man the jaguars defeated the texans 31 to 3 and Rivers McCown the Jaguars didn't necessarily need this game but that but they got the win yeah they didn't necessarily need the game and they didn't necessarily need to play the second half either I mean they got to a 21 nothing lead uh they benched Trevor Lawrence in the third quarter after one drive so just uh sad sad times in Houston yeah so let's talk Travis Etienne who kind of got there for fantasy purposes uh despite not playing the full game, nine rushes for 108 yards and a touchdown, had a 62-yarder here. Uh, he did lose an, an earlier touchdown carry to Jamichael Hasty, um, So that was a bit tilting if you had Travis Etienne because it could have been an even bigger day. Like that was not a, a starters were pulled type of situation. Um, but still a very strong fantasy day for Etienne on, you know, part-time workload. Yeah, he got pulled at the end of the uh, first uh, half. Uh, second drive, uh, first drive of the second of the second half starts, and Hasty got like seven or eight touches on that drive. So, yeah, ACN played really well, uh, even outside of the sixty-two yard run. He had a couple big ones, uh, had a, had a long thirty-yard catch. So he was looking good the entire game. And had the Texans actually put up a fight, maybe he would have gotten there for everybody. Yep. Any thoughts on anything else with the Jaguars? It's kind of tough given that they didn't really need to play the whole game um if you want some some deep lore to tuck away in your brain for 2023 marvin jones goes off against the texans for whatever reason mm-hmm. the, the way that they scheme that up marvin jones went 661 on seven targets uh his only other game against the texans this year i think he had like 100 yards so 
he's he he really came to play in this one. He gets he gets the targets in that system, and Christian Kirk just duds. So there you go. Yep. He did dud. Three for uh, three targets, two catches, twenty one yards for Christian Kirk. Say Jones also a dud of uh, three for twenty four and five targets. Anything to mention here with the Texans? Um, we had the split a little bit at quarterback with Jeff Driscoll getting some work. Uh, we had Daria Gumbawale tie Royce Freeman for the team lead with seven rushes. Uh, Brandon Cooks had four for 39 on seven targets. What, what's there to say, Rivers? This team's really bad, and they need to stop playing football together. I think they should just take a break, maybe after next week, and, and just don't do it again. Uh, Davis yeah. Mills looked awful. Uh, he overthrew a couple of open sideline balls to Brandon Cooks, so kind of became a prayer yards day for Cooks instead of a air yards day. Um, Ogumba Wale looked really good off the bat, had, I think, 18 of his 21 yards on the first drive, and <laughs> then they just kind of shut it down. So, yeah. All right. Rivers McCown, thanks so much. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that'll do it for the Week 17 Recap Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks so much for listening all season. Hope you had a great fantasy year, and we will see you on the Road to World Football Show later this week. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.